0: The other side of midnight. 77 w. Local spotlight. Good morning, everyone. This is the other side of midnight. I'm Frank Morano on 77 WABC. Hope you had a nice weekend. I certainly did. It's great to be back behind the microphone, though. Well, today they say is the day. Today, Mayor Eric Adams is going to announce his new police commissioner. Now, the early reporting is, and the smart money is on, the gentleman who's currently the acting police commissioner, Eddie Caban. Now, Eddie Caban seems to have a pretty good reputation both within the police department and among New Yorkers who pay close attention to policing. In fact, during the mayoral campaign, Curtis Lewa, who obviously ran against Eric Adams, indicated that if he were to get elected, Eddie Caban would probably be the person that he would appoint to be the new police commissioner. A lot is being made over the fact that he's Hispanic. I hate that whole identity politics game. I recognize that when you have a police department that's majority minority, it's important to have Minorities in prominent leadership roles. I get that, but I don't know that we have to mention that he's Hispanic in every other sentence. Tell me what kind of a cop he is. Apparently, he is a very effective police officer. Additionally, though, I hope he doesn't run into the same situation that Keech and Sewell ran into. See, as best I can tell, Keech Sewell took this job thinking that she was going to be the police commissioner when all of us that paid attention to this stuff knew that the real police commissioner was going to be Eric Adams and his deputy mayor, Philip Banks. And they were going to be the ones that called the shots on everything related to promotion, related to disciplinary matters, related to overall policing strategies. And as long as Eddie Caban goes into this situation with his eyes open, knowing what he's dealing with, with the mayor and the deputy mayor, then... I think hopefully he can move the ball forward a bit. But if he thinks he's going to be able to act like a real police commissioner, the way Ray Kelly did, the way Bill Bratton did, then I think he's going to be in for a rude awakening. A rude awakening. Only time will tell. Beam me up. To be continued. With Kizik Free Shoes, motion sounds something like this. Local Spotlight Tomorrow, everyone. This is The Other Side of Midnight on 77 WABC. I'm Frank Morano. You know, there really ought to be some sort of a support group for fans of the New York Mets. Because every year, it's the same pattern. Every offseason, they get our hopes up, thinking this is going to be the year that they're going to do something magical. And every year, we crater to some sort of inevitable disappointment. Right before the All-Star Game, they were showing some signs that they knew how to play baseball again. Winning six straight. Well, What a disaster this weekend has been, losing two out of three to the Dodgers, making it a four-game losing streak. They were able to win on Sunday, but they almost blew that game. They had a beautiful one nothing lead, courtesy of Max Scherzer, and Max Scherzer, of course, didn't get the win because the Mets were able to give up that lead, and they had to win by the skin of their teeth from 2-1. to one. And that's why this letter to the editor in the Saturday New York Times really struck me, and I figured I'd share it with you. It's by David Harari of Burlington, Vermont. To the Mets fans' plight, and it's regarding a David Brooks column on July 7th, Despite years of crushed dreams, I'm back at it. My six-year-old has gotten me watching Mets games religiously again, and much like my father must have felt, I find it heart-wrenching to watch my kid hope and cheer night after night only to find out that his beloved team has come up short once again. It's no wonder that Mr. Brooks asks the most obvious of questions. Why do we do this to ourselves? Why do we keep tuning in and emotionally investing when we have years of heartbreak and disappointment to inform us otherwise? I look at my kid when he's unconditionally cheering his team on, and I know why. Win or lose, the Mets allow us to dream big, believe in miracles, and share some of the most precious moments of life a father can spend with his child. Well written and well said, David. And until I read that letter to the editor, I had been hoping that my son would become a Yankee fan so that he could save himself the heartache that his father has become accustomed to for decades. But after that column, I'm thinking, all right. Maybe we can be heartbroken together. Beam me up! To be continued. The Other Side at Midnight. 77 Local Spotlight. I'm not sure if you're familiar with Congressman Jamal Bowman, who is a progressive congressman who represents Westchester and the Bronx. He's one of the hard left. I don't know if he self-identifies as a socialist, but he votes with the squad and that whole crew in Congress. And he's one of these people that beat an incumbent Democrat. Elliot Engel was a pretty mainstream Democrat. Liberal, make no mistake, but a mainstream Democrat. And he lost in a primary when he was seeking re-election a couple of years ago to Jamal Bowman. And Jamal Bowman has become known these days for uh, carrying on, I don't mean to be derisive in saying this, but sort of going a little crazy over gun safety legislation and things like that, getting into very vocal arguments with Republican members of Congress, which you don't usually see in uh, the hallowed halls of D.C. Well, Ross Barkin who is a journalist who's also been a Democratic candidate for office, has an interesting column in City and State. He is saying that if Congressman Jabal Bowman moved from Yonkers to the Bronx and ran in the 2025 mayoral primary, he'd stand a real chance of beating Eric Adams. Barkin makes the case that he could win support from a broad spectrum of voters, including both the progressives who voted for Maya Wiley in the 2021 primary and the more Moderate voters who backed Catherine Garcia. It is interesting because I know it's it's clear that the progressives are going to be taking aim at Eric Adams and trying to run as strong a challenger against him as they can in 2025. I think a lot of people had assumed that that most likely progressive challenger was going to be the city controller Brad Lander. Well, what Barkin does is make the case that if. Brad Lander, who's white, runs against Eric Adams, who's black, the whole primary is going to be dominated by racial politics and Adams is essentially going to call Lander a racist for running against him. Additionally, I can't see Lander having the stones enough to actually give up a virtually guaranteed re-election as city controller in order to challenge Adams in a primary. We'll see. I would think that Barkin didn't just pick Jamal Bowman's name out of the blue. I don't know if Barkin Spoke to Bowman directly or one of Bowman's friends or staff members or supporters. But the fact that they're putting this article out there, I get the sense that this could be a real trial balloon. And I have a feeling we're going about to hear a lot more of the potential Bowman for Mayor Boomlet. Beam me up to be continued. The other side of midnight. 77 WC. local spotlights. By now, you have probably heard the story, New York City will pay nearly $2 billion, you heard that correctly, that's billion with a B, to black and Hispanic people who wanted to become teachers but failed the exam, settling a lawsuit that alleged that the disparate passage rates showed that the test was racist. Some who never worked as teachers will get more than a million dollars each, each, and could even get pensions which will inflate the cost well beyond $1.8 billion. The New York Post interviewed 64-year-old Herman Grimm, who will be paid $2,055,383 after failing the test a lot. He could not provide any examples of how the questions were racist. One anonymous Brooklyn principal told the New York Post the city was crazy to settle the case because the standards are the standards. To hire people who are not qualified and change the requirement because a certain group didn't pass the test is BS. See, this settlement concerns the liberal arts and science test, which prospective teachers took between 1993 and 1995. More than 90% of whites passed the test, while only 53% of blacks and even fewer Hispanics did. But the idea that those statistics prove that the test is racist rather than properly reflecting knowledge levels is totally undercut by the results of the teaching exams since then. The Daily Wire reporting. That most states use an exam called Praxis to credential their teachers. And according to a 2011 study co-written by the National Education Association Teaching Union, Praxis results were similar to the New York City test. The largest differences exist for African-American test takers with passing rates that are lower than white test takers by 35 percent or more. So the new test is racist, too. If we're saying the fact that blacks and Hispanics didn't pass this test at the same rate as white applicants, then the existing tests all over the country might still be racist. This is such a joke. And I think the lesson to be learned here is if you want to make money in a hurry and not pay taxes on it, the best thing you can do is sue the city of New York because you know they will settle. Beam me up. To be continued.